We're going to be over in 2 Kings chapter 18. 2 Kings chapter 18, there was a guy who was shopping at Walmart. You know it's got to be a good story. An old lady was just kept staring at him as they were standing in line, and finally she said, you look so much like my late son. She spoke a little about him and their relationship and how he died and said, I know it's silly, but I never did get a chance to say goodbye to my son. If you don't mind, when I leave the store, would you just call out, goodbye, mother? It would just make me feel so happy. He thought, well, sure, I'll help you help with that. And so as she was leaving, he said, goodbye, mother. And the old lady looked back at him and she waved and walked out the door. And he was so pleased that he was able to help her in this, that God was able to use him. He came on up and he paid for his uh, items. The cashier said that would be $362. And the guy said, why so much? I just have five things. He said, yeah, but your mother said you'd pay for her. <laughs> oh, the people that are out there to deceive, huh? We're going to look a little bit at deception here this morning. As we, uh, we wanted to spend one more week on the focus during turmoil, because uh, there's some questions that came up last week from some people, and just want to make sure we spend some time and get this taken care of. There are four areas to identify whether we were steady or stubborn. Four identifiers, we said. Our relationship to authority, our generosity with supply, our focus during turmoil, and our motivation in boldness. We looked at the first three already. We're going to spend a little bit more time on the third one. Over in Second Kings chapter 18, should be a familiar story to you. Should know some parts of this anyway. It's been a long time since we've gone through it, and maybe you forgot some of the details. But in Second Kings chapter 18, now it came to pass in the third year of Hosea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. Does anyone know what Hosea's claim to fame is as king of Israel? All right, hopefully you figured, you picked that up beforehand. You'll know who... He has a little bit of a famous, famous part in the time of Israel. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned for 29 years in Jerusalem. If he was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned for 29 years, how old was he when he died? Come on, 25 plus 29, 54. Just wanted to see how your math is working here this morning, because we want to use a little bit of that. His mother's name was... Abai, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. He removed the high places and broke the sacred pillars, cut down the wooden image and broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it Nehushtan. I'll tell you what, people will worship anything, won't they? He trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor were nor who were before him. That means what? That there was no king like him before and that there was no king like him after. Can you think of some kings that came before of notoriety? Can you think of some kings that came after of notoriety? Apparently, none of them were up to the level of Hezekiah. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses, and the Lord was with him. He prospered wherever he went. And he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. He subdued the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory from watchtower to fortified city. Now it came to pass in the fourth year of King Hezekiah, 
which was the seventh year of Hoshea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Shalomaneser, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria and besieged it. At the end of three years, they took it in the sixth year of Hezekiah. So he's messing with us a little bit here in the math. Getting some fun. The fourth year of King Hezekiah is when that attack began. An attack happened for three years, and it finished off in the sixth year of Hezekiah. Four minus six is two, which just means it overlapped into the years a little bit, and they rounded it off to three years. Then the king of Assyria called, carried Israel away captive to Assyria and put them in Hala and by, by the Habor, the river of Gozan, in the cities of Medes, because they did not obey the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed against his covenant and all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded, and they would neither hear nor do them. So the king of Israel, what is his claim to fame? He was the king of Israel when Assyria came and took them. So if you ever wonder who the king of Israel was when Assyria came and dispersed them throughout all the land, all the rounding lands, that's who it was. So Hezekiah, he began to turn the nation back. His father was not a follower of God. His father was a follower of idols and did a number of things in that area. And so he went through and he, he removed that. If you want, go back to the chapter before and you can read about his father Ahaz and some of the things that he had done. But he removed the high places. Now, some high places were just places where you would go to worship God if you didn't want to make the laborious trip and go all the way to Judah or go all the way to the temple or the other places you were supposed to go. Um, the synagogues are, are different, different places that they had that were close by that they would make these high places that were uh, convenience. But that's not what God said to do. Some high places may have been to idols and such. But either way, they were not of God. So he removed them. He broke down the sacred pillars. And he cut down the groves or the Asherah. Asherah what means, uh, it means basically a straight, upright, or erect. It was like a totem pole. They took a living tree and they cut the top of it off. They shaped the trunk of it into an idol and they would worship it. It's amazing the things that people will worship, huh? Uh, Exodus 34, verse 13 through 14, if you ever want to go back over there, that's where uh, God begins to tell the children of Israel that he is a jealous God and he's talking about the worship to this thing. He also destroyed the Hanashtan, as we said. He brought back the true worship in Second Chronicles 32 and verse 1. After these deeds of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and entered Judah. He encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them over to himself. Now, how many of you think that if you are faithful to God, you reform the land, you remove the high places, the false gods, and so forth, what do you think ought to come next after that in the Bible? The blessings of God came, right? Wouldn't that be the natural course of thing? That you remove all these different things and the blessings of God comes. Second Chronicles puts it this way in chapter 32 and verse 1. After these deeds of faithfulness, <laughs> so the Word of God's even saying he's being faithful. After these deeds of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and entered Judah. He encamped against the fortified cities thinking to win them over to himself. Now Ahaz had submitted to the king of Israel. That's his father. He had submitted to the king of Israel and Hezekiah rebelled against him. And after all these deeds of faithfulness, after clearing out the land and cleaning things up, we have that they came and invaded the land. How many of you have ever had trouble come into your place, into your house, into your life? And what do you first look at? What deeds of faithfulness you've done? And why do I deserve this? Anybody ever done that? 
doesn't say that Hezekiah is doing it, but uh, it sure is interesting to note that the Word of God is very plain to say he was faithful and then the invasion came. And in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. Then Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria at Lachish, saying, I have done wrong. Turn away from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will pay. And the king of Assyria assessed Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. So Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house. At that time, Hezekiah stripped the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the pillars which Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. Now, this is a tough time for Hezekiah. He rebelled against the king, and now it's in his 14th year, king of Assyria had already conquered the northern tribes in the 6th year, so this is 8 years after that. This is his 14th year, and after rebelling, he's lost all these cities, he's only got his own capital left, and he's realizing... This is not working. I need to make peace. And so he makes peace with the king of Assyria. And he says, how much? And he gave an amount. And this amounts to millions of dollars, several million dollars, if you translate it out to uh, the time now. He took a lot of the treasures from the temple. I'm sure that hurt him. He's trying to restore worship to the temple. And now he's got to strip all the gold out that other people had put in. And then if you go on in verse 17, then the king of Assyria sent the Tartan the Rapsaris and the Rapshakah from Lachish with a great army against Jerusalem to King Hezekiah. And they went up and came to Jerusalem. When they had come up and they went and stood by the aqueduct, the upper pool, which was on the highway to the fuller's field. And when they had called to the king, Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, Shebna, the scribe, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came out to them. Then the Rabshakeh said to them, See now to, Say now to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, What confidence is, it, is this in which you trust? You speak of having plans and powerful war, but there are more mere words in whom do you trust that you rebel against me. Now when he rebelled, he gave a price and he said, This is what it's going to be. It's going to be several million dollars. And they paid the price, right? How many of you think that should satisfy this thing? If you read the passage the way that is, the way we read it here, the way it comes across to us, it seems that they came against the nation, that they paid the tribute, and they decided to keep on coming and get the rest of the money. Doesn't it read that way to you? Doesn't it seem that that's so? And that seems to be confusing to most people, because why is it that we make special account, we paid them all this money, and then they kept on coming? They didn't go away. Well, there's a a little bit more to it than we find in the Word of God. We find out that the Word of God left out a part of this because we found some monuments and some some, uh, things that were erected to um, make memory of this. And they just recorded here, I guess maybe because everybody knew it, and they just did, uh, for whatever reason, it's not in there. What had actually happened was Hezekiah had repented to the king of Assyria for rebelling, and he paid him off all this money, and he stripped all that stuff out of the temple, And he gave it to him, and the king of Assyria pulled out and went away. And then Hezekiah rebelled again. And when he rebelled again, he repented of submitting to the king of Assyria, and he he formed a treaty with Egypt. This is in your outline if you want to fill that out. 
Assyria had pulled out. Hezekiah repented of the submission. He formed a treaty with Egypt and then he rebelled again. In the meantime, he made this treaty with, with Egypt. He fortified the city where if you go back and you look at some of the ruins, you will find, if you especially look at Hezekiah, you will see that he had made an extra outer wall to uh, defend against any attack that the Assyrians would come. He had also carved a, a, uh, a uh, tunnel out of solid rock. If you go online, I saw some online, you can see some pictures of this. It's really small. If you don't like small places, you would not be one of the ones that would be in this tunnel. It was a tunnel that was just under 1,800 feet long. And the tunnel would go from the city down to where the uh, springs were, and they could get water. So if they came under attack, they could get water. And they would be able to shut off the springs from the people that were up on, on top. And this way, the Assyrians weren't able to get water, but they could get water. And so he's making plans. He's doing all this fortification. He's getting all these things ready. In case they come again, we're going to be ready for them. Because he was expecting them to come again. Now, if all that's true, why does the Word of God leave it out? Now, here's something interesting. How many of you remember a passage of Scripture in the book of Second Chronicles? In fact, it's in your outline, chapter 32. In which Hezekiah was in the house and he was ill. And the prophet came to him and said to him, put your house in order, you're going to die. And the prophet turned around and left. And before he gets out of the palace area, God says to him, go back to Hezekiah and tell him I have heard his repentance and tell him he has 15 more years. Remember that? And so the prophet turned around, came back and said, you got 15 more years. And we never heard what it was that he repented of. How many ever heard what he repented of? Well, no, the Bible doesn't say what he repented of, but he repented. How many more years did he have? Fifteen more years. He was going to reign for fifteen more years. How many years did Hezekiah reign? Anybody remember? Twenty-nine. Fifteen from twenty-nine is? What year does he pay the tribute? In the fourteenth year of Hezekiah, he pays the tribute to the king of Assyria. In the 14th year of Hezekiah, he is approached by the prophet and says, you will die. In the 14th year of Hezekiah, the prophet is told, turn around, I have heard his repentance. Tell him he has 15 more years. What would that tell you that he's repenting of? (laughs) What else happened in the 14th year of Hezekiah? He repented of submitting back to the king of Assyria And not staying with what God told him to do. And of stripping down all the gold and giving it to the king. And so he rebelled again because he repented of his submission. And so he rebelled again. And again the king of Assyria comes down. Where do we leave off at? Verse 20. Let's read it again. You speak of having plans and power for war, but they are mere words. And in whom do you trust that you rebel against me? So they have rebelled a second time. It's not the first rebellion. It's the second rebellion. And he says, you've made plans for war. You've made yourselves ready for this, which he did by building the exterior wall of, on Jerusalem and digging this tunnel, making the treaty, some other things he probably did as well. He refortified all the cities that had fallen under the first attack. Now, look, you are trusting in the staff of this broken reed of Egypt because he made the treaty with Egypt. 
on which if a man leans, it will go into his hand and pierce it. Now, sometimes, how many have ever heard of kings that made treaties with Syria, Egypt, and so forth, and God punished them for it? The problem was not the treaty. The problem was they put their trust in the treaty. If it was a problem to have a treaty, then we as the United States would have a problem because we have a treaty with Israel. We have a treaty with Britain. We have a treaty with some other nations. If treaties are bad, then God would punish us for it. Or would have. Or would have punished Israel because Israel got into a treaty with us. The treaty is not the bad thing. The bad thing is putting your trust in the treaty. The kings in the past who have been judged for it, they uh, put their trust in the treaty, not in the fact that God would help them. He put his trust in the fact that God would help him, and then he also made other preparations. He fortified the cities. He made a way to get water. And he made this treaty with Egypt. Egypt had not yet fallen to the king of Assyria. So as he goes on and says, So is Pharaoh king of Egypt to all who trusted him. He's going to be just a reed that if you lean on it, it's going to pierce you. But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God. So if you're saying you don't trust in Egypt, but you trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and said to Judah and Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem? Did he do that? You see, this guy has done his homework. We started off talking about people who deceive. This guy is trying to come in and deceive them into, into getting off of their trust. And this is what the enemy does. The enemy comes in and he tries to deceive you. But look at what he uses here. He uses things that had happened. They went on through the land. They said, what's going, what has Hezekiah done? Well, Hezekiah has removed these things. He has taken these things down. Oh, high places. What do we use those for? They had some high places for their God. They had some high places for others. And so they began to capitalize on this. And they said, if you are saying you trust in God, isn't that the same God that Hezekiah took the high places away from? So if you trusted him and Hezekiah has done this, can you really put your trust in that God? He's trying to question that. We've got to be careful of what we believe and what we hear. Remember when Satan came to tempt Jesus? Did a couple of temptations. He, Jesus came back with the word. And so what did Satan do? Well, doesn't the word say this? Cast yourself down and his angels will bear you up. See, the deceiver... He likes to deceive, but he's the best deceptions are the ones that involve some truth. They're the best deceptions, because if you have a deception and it involves some truth, then once you see the some truth is truth, then you tend to believe the rest. And that's not good. As they say, when you bait something, you got something in your yard you don't want to have, then what you've got to do, if you're going to put poison out, you can't just put the poison out because the thing's not going to come over and eat the poison. Well, you've got to put the poison on. Something that they like to eat. People are not just going to buy into deception. You've got to put it on with something that they like, which is things that are true. Verse 22. Verse 23. Oh, we didn't finish 22. We trust in the Lord our God and... Is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and said to Judah in Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem? Well, isn't that what God said? Now, therefore, I urge you, give a pledge to my master, the king of Assyria, and I will give you 2,000 horses, if you are able to put on your part riders on them. How then will you repel one captain of the least of my master's servants and put your trust in Egypt for chariots and horsemen? 
Have I now come up without the Lord against this place to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. So look at the things that he comes comes out against. First off, he looks at the things that they had relied on. The king of Egypt, they made a treaty with. All right, this is something new. You're going to rely on Egypt. So he, he attacks that. He says, you're going to rely on your God. He attacks that. And then he says, and beside that, God sent me. <laughs> Deceivers have a way of coming up and revealing to you that God sent them somehow. Somehow God's purpose is in it. God's, God's out there showing you this. And sometimes we even do it ourselves. Well, God must have brought them along so I would know this and so that this would go on or whatever. The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. Then Elikim, the son of Hilkiah, Shebna, and Joah, son of the Rabshakeh, please speak to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it. And do not speak to us in Hebrew in the hearing of the people who were on the wall. But then he goes on. But the Rabshakeh said to them, has my master sent me to your master and to and to you to speak these words and not to the men who sit on the wall who will eat and drink their own waste with you? Then the Rabshakeh stood and called out with a loud voice in Hebrew and spoke saying, Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Notice they speak in their language. I'll tell you what, deception comes the way that you can hear it. Deception comes in a language that you understand. For each of us, it's a little bit different. But deception will come in a way that you can understand it. It will speak to you in your language. It will speak to you in the, the way that you talk. And it will come. Ever watch those shows and they got the con men? Con men, con women on the show. And how they can all adapt themselves to the person they're trying to deceive. And they speak like them and they talk like them and they talk in a way that they would accept. And this is what the enemy does. And you have to be ready for them. Thus say, says the king... Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he shall be able to deliver you, for he shall not be able to deliver you from his hand. Look at his words. Even unsaved people understand this. Do not let Hezekiah deceive you. In order for someone to deceive you, they must have your permission. No one can be deceived without giving up the permission. How does that happen? We're going to get into that here in just a little bit. Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he shall not be able to deliver you from his hand. Nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us. This city shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, Make peace with me by a present, and come out to me. And every one of you will eat from his own vine, and every one from his own fig tree, and every one of you will drink the waters of his own cistern until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain, new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive groves and honey, that you may live and not die. In other words, he's making it sound pretty good, but what they're going to do is they're going to come take them out of their own land and disperse them because that's how Assyria did it. When they conquered a land, instead of letting them stay in that land and be that nation, they would disperse them amongst all the other nations and therefore they lost their identity and also their generally their will and their ability to rebel. That you may live and not die, but do not listen to Hezekiah, lest he persuade you, saying, The Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations at all delivered its land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? And where are the gods of Sepharim and Hena and Iva? Indeed, have they delivered Samaria from my hand? Who among all these 
the gods of the hands have delivered their countries from my hand, that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from my hand. So in other words, we're comparing, all right, take a look. All these other gods, all these other lands, they had gods. Did they work? You're going to say that your God is different? Well, he just said that their God sent them. But see, these people believe that all these gods are out there. They don't believe in one God. But the people held their peace and answered him not a word, for the king's commandment was, do not answer him. Then Elikim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, Shebna the scribe, and Joah the son of Asaph, and the recorder came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him the words of the Rav Shaka. Now here's something that's interesting. We know what Hezekiah did as far as the treaty with, the, with Egypt. We know what Hezekiah did with building the outer wall, carving the, the tunnel to the cisterns, to the, to the place where they could get the water from. We know that he rebuilt the fortified cities. What we're not told about is that he also instructed the teaching priests to teach the people how to answer. That's, that was brilliant. He had them teach the people what to say in the midst of deception. He probably prepared them and said, now when we rebel and these people come, they're going to come and they're going to say such things like this. They're going to accuse our God of this. But don't believe it. And these people, to every single one of them, listened. And when they heard all these accusations, not a single person answered. They all said nothing. I'll tell you what, it would help us out a whole lot if we just learned that if we don't have some faithful words, some faith-filled words to say, say nothing. Because too often we're saying stuff that's getting us in trouble. We're speaking stuff that's doubt and unbelief and all sorts of things. As we said already, do not let Hezekiah deceive you. There is certainly a deceiver here. But what criteria would you use to determine who? How many times have we heard two sides of a story? You know, CNN, they get out there and they tell you that these things are going on. And then after that, you know, you get another report and you find out, well, this was going on. A Trevane Martin incident, we'd have ABC, was it ABC? Yeah, I think it was ABC who uh, changed the audio, re- reordered the audio, didn't just clip things, but reordered the audio, put things that were said later into things they were saying before. All for the purpose of changing it. And they got caught. And they were exposed. And so we see these things. We hear all these different reports. We hear all the things that had happened. We heard it even in that one. Well, this had gone on. No, this had gone on. And we hear all this back and forth. How do you know who to believe? Because you're going to believe somebody, aren't you? How do you know who to believe? Because who you believe is going to influence how you look at that situation. Or any situation. How do you know? What criteria do we use in order to determine who it is that we're supposed to believe? We've got to do the same thing with the things of God because the accuser is coming out telling us not to believe the things that God has said. When God has made a promise for us in a certain area and it doesn't seem to be happening or our doctor comes and he gives us a report and it seems to be contrary, who do you believe? When you've got a financial situation going on at home, And you hear the news media say this and this and this. And the Word of God says this and this and this. And they're opposite each other. Who do you believe? When you have people who say, Oh, I used to trust in God for finances and I got broke. 
Who do you believe? You are going to believe someone. But who will it be? Who will it be? There's got to be a criteria. There's got to be something that we need to do. Well, the people here heeded the words of Hezekiah and they did not respond. Let's go on here before we get into the rest of it. And so it was when King Hezekiah heard it that he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. Then he sent Elikim, who was over the household, Shebna, the scribe, and the elders of the priests, covered with sackcloth to Israel, the prophet, to Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz. And they said to him, Thus says Hezekiah, This day is a day of trouble and rebuke and blasphemy, for the children have come to birth, but there is no strength to bring them forth. And it may be that the Lord your God will hear all the words of the Rabshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to reproach the living God, and will rebuke the words which the Lord your God has heard. Therefore lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. So the servants of the king Hezekiah came to Israel. And Israel said to them, Thus you shall say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid of the words which you have heard. I'll tell you what, that's a refrigerator verse right there. We should all cut that out and put that up on our refrigerators. Do not be afraid of the words which you have heard. How many times have we heard words that have caused us to be in fear? Way back, now not none of you folks did this, but way back when they had the SARS scare. You know, about the airports. People were afraid to go into the airports. They were going to die. And when they had the, uh, the last time they had the bird flu thing and they were talking about how many thousands of people were going to die because of this bird flu that was coming over. And we had none. How many people were afraid because of the words that they heard? We ought to put this up on our refrigerator because I'll tell you what, this is a word that we can all use. Do not be afraid of the words which you have heard. The word of God does not cause fear. The word of God causes peace and joy thanksgiving, gladness, unless, of course, you missed it and God has to come and say, all right, judgment is coming, then it might cause some fear, <laughs> but that was your fault. You got into the wrong spot. But that's not what the Word of God is, is there to do. But we hear these reports, and we hear these things going on, and we get in fear of what's going to happen. Do not be afraid of their words. Do not be afraid of their words. We got to get that down. I'll tell you what, that's a refrigerator verse. Do not be afraid of the words which you have heard with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Surely I will send a spirit upon him and he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land and I will curse him to fall by the sword in his own land. How many times have we heard words while we're trying to sleep? You're going to die. How many times have we heard words while you're trying to sleep? You're going to fail. How many times have we heard words when you're walking through the daytime? You're going to go broke. You're going to lose your job. Your car is going to break down. We hear these words. And if we believe them, they cause fear. We've got to stop believing these words. He says, Surely I will send a spirit upon him, and he shall hear a rumor, return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. So he's even telling them how it's going to come about. He says, Don't you be afraid of their words. Don't you be afraid of their words. And if you're wondering, well, why did they get this far? Why are they all the way in the land? They're surrounding Jerusalem. Why are they even this far? They did miss it. They did open this thing, this whole can of worms up. But God said, that's all right. I'm still going to fix it. Verse 8. 
Then the Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria warring against Libna, for he heard that he had departed from Lachish. And the king heard concerning Tarharka, king of Ethiopia, Look, he has come out to make war with you. So he sent again messengers to Hezekiah, saying, Thus you shall speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying, Do not let your God, in whom you trust, deceive you, saying, Jerusalem shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Look, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands by utterly destroying them, and shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered those whom my fathers have destroyed? Gozan, Haran, Rezep, and the people of Eden who were in Telassar? Where is the king of Hamath? And the king of Arpad, and the king of the city of Shepharvim, Hena, Iva. And Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God, you alone. Of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear, open your eyes, O Lord, and see and hear the words of Sennacherib which he has sent to reproach the living God. How many times do you look at the words that are spoken against you as a reproach to the living God? That's how he looked at it. A reproach to the living God. Truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and the lands. Well, he's speaking truth. We have laid wa- They did lay waste those nations. That is true. And have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they destroyed them. Now therefore, O Lord, our God, I pray, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord God, you alone. Now up till now, he's got the report. He's going to go back just like the prophet said. We're going to go back into the other land. We've got to go back and take care of this thing. But then we're coming back and we're going to take care of you. That's where it was going to stand. That's where it was going to go. But here's what Hezekiah prays. He said, Now, therefore, Lord, I pray, save us from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord God and you alone. Up till now, what's going to happen is he's going to go back to his land and then he was going to fall and die and then he wouldn't make his way on back. But look at verse 35. And it came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when people arose early in the morning... There were the corpses all dead. This is the angel of the Lord. This is not the death angel or anything like that. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. As he manifests himself in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went away and returned home and remained at Nineveh. So God says, all right, just in answer to your question, I'm going to go out there and knock some of them off. 185,000 died in one night. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went away, returned home and remained at Nineveh. Now it came to pass as he was worshiping in the temple of Nisroch, his god, that his sons, Adramelech and Sherezek, or Sherezer, struck him down with the sword and they escaped in the land of Ararat. Then Ashardon, his son, reigned in his place. Now that's kind of odd. Two of his sons come in and kill him and then they leave. Then maybe there was a conspiracy between all three sons. You guys do the killing. I'll do the reigning and I won't come after you. <laughs> I don't know what their deal was. But anyway, they did something. And uh, so he, he dies. And that's pretty much the last we hear of Assyria coming down to attack Judah. But he says, don't let your God deceive you. 
You are not being saved. Don't let your God deceive you. As we said, we give our permission to be deceived. We give our permission to be deceived. No one can come in and deceive you without you giving your permission. You would say, I would never give anyone permission to deceive me. But you have. You have given permission to deceive. Now, if we're going to have victory and turmoil, if we're going to have the the opportunity that when things are going on around us and they are harsh, they are bad, they are things are being said, people are speaking negative things about your health, about your job, about your finances, about your family, about your emotional state, about your well-being, about all kinds of things, whatever it is that you care about, things are being said and we can become fearful because of the words turmoil begins to come in. How many of y'all know Hezekiah, when you've got a whole army come down, their purpose is to destroy you, to remove you. That is a time of turmoil. But we can have victory over it. It comes from a couple of things. I put five things down in here for you. These are nothing new. These are all things that you know. You're not going to learn anything new out of here. This is all stuff that you should know. But five things to focus on. Victory over turmoil, turmoil comes to this way. First off, understanding God's truth. You not only have to hear God's truth, you have to understand it. The Word of God says, Jesus teaches us in the New Testament. The sower goes out to sow, and the the first group of uh, people, the seed comes, but they don't understand it. And so the enemy comes and snatches it away. The enemy was the birds. They came and snatched it away. We must understand the truth of God's Word. Have you ever talked with people who have heard the Word of God but don't understand it? Isn't it pretty plain? I mean, you you know about it, but you don't understand it. How can you not understand this stuff? It's You can tell they don't understand it. When you were going through school, think back to the times you were going through elementary school, junior high school, high school, whatever school might, might be that you can last remember going through. Do you remember going through a course and you're going through that course and you did not understand it? You could not comprehend it. You were failing the test. You were not doing well on the test. You were struggling with the homework. And then if you're like me, you know, you, you, you grew up and then your kids were going through that. I just picked this one out, algebra. When I went through algebra the first time, I did not succeed very well. I struggled with algebra. And then I had to go into algebra two. If you struggle with algebra one, more than likely, you're going to struggle with algebra two. But I had to take it. I didn't have a choice. If I had a choice... I wouldn't have taken it. And I struggled with Algebra 2. And I went through and I just didn't understand it. I didn't get this. I, I made it through Algebra 1 and Algebra 2, but I did not understand Algebra. I went into Geometry. I understood Geometry. I could grasp. I don't know what the difference was, but I could understand Geometry. I did great in Geometry. I did lousy in algebra. I was struggling with D's, maybe a few C's. I made it through, but not great. And then, you know, our kids went through the different math classes and algebra was one of them. And when we were homeschooling, my wife says, all right, I'll take this. You take the math. Well, part of math is algebra. And so, you know what I'm thinking? I didn't do well in this. (laughs) How am I going to do that? I didn't do well in this. I didn't understand it. And so I went back through and I, I had to study it. I had to understand it because you can't teach somebody else a thing if you don't understand it. And so I had to begin to teach them how to do the algebra. 
But I had to go on through and understand it. And when I went through the second time, it was so much easier to understand. I don't know what changed. But I went through and said, why did I struggle with this before? This is easy. I could comprehend it. I could understand it. You've got to have the understanding in order to make it work. You can't just have the Word of God. You've got to understand it. And so we've got to work to make sure I understand it. I listen to the Word of God. I go over the Word of God. I read the Word of God. I study the Word of God because I am going to understand it. I'm not just going to hear the words. And that's the first thing we've got to do. We've got to make sure that we understand it. I've received revelation in my spirit, but I've got to teach it to my mind. The Word of God is about renewing our mind. If we don't understand the Word of God, we don't renew our mind. And that's the first one. The second one is believing God's truth. Once I understand it, I have to believe it. The Word of God teaches us, Jesus again teaches us, that believing is done in the heart. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, Paul writes. The word Jesus teaches us, does not doubt in his heart, but believes. Believing is done in our heart. Understanding is done in our head. We may receive what we have from from God in our spirit, but we've got to teach it to our head. Once I have taught it to my head, it's got to go from my head down to my heart, so to speak, to where I believe it with my heart. I cannot believe the principles of God with my head and have success. I have to believe with my heart. E.W. Kenyon wrote the book, Two Kinds of Faith. One kind of faith is mental assent. You believe with your head. That doesn't do any good. You've got to believe with your heart. I don't know the difference between that. We're not talking about that now. We talked about that before. But you've got to believe with your heart. You've got to down on, the, down on the inside of you. Not just with your head. I don't just know that these things should work. I know that they will work. You can tell when a person believes in their heart because their conversation changes. Their conversation changes. We'll get more on that down the road, I'm sure. Understanding God's truth. Believing God's truth. Third, acting on God's truth. If you fully believe that a thing is true, you act on it. It is impossible for you to fully believe that something works and not act on it. How many of you believe that if you put gas in your car, it runs? How many of you believe that if you don't put gas in your car, it will cease from running at a very inopportune time? And so what do we do? We have actions based on a belief. I believe that if I put gas in the car, it will go. I don't have to necessarily know all the reasons why, where the gas goes and all that sort of stuff. But if I put the gas in the car, the car goes. And so I do that. There's some actions that are on, on the, the end of that. How many of you believe that if you take a shower fairly regularly, you won't smell? And so because of that belief, we go out there and we, we shower fairly regularly, don't we? Because I believe that that's going to have an effect. It's the things that we believe. Sometimes we believe when we're younger. Well, if I dress right, I'll attract a girlfriend or boyfriend. And so that affected the way that we dress. You can tell, you know, especially the young men. Especially the young men. When the young man finally decides that, you know what, if I look nice, a girl might look at me. And you can tell when that happens, can't you? Because all of a sudden, the son is taking a shower without being told. I think every parent alive today knows right about the day when their sons took a shower without being told. And generally, we look at each other and say, is so-and-so in the shower? What's going on? 
something's happening. And then you also notice that the son smells different. That they've gone out to the store on their own to buy smelly stuff. And they smell nice. And they're spending time on their hair. And they look nice. And what are those clothes you're wearing? They match. They look good. And you know that something has happened. Now, we don't have to find out what happened. We know exactly what happened. They discovered girls. And it changed the way. And they believed that if I smell good and if I look good, that a girl might be interested. <laughs> so that belief has corresponding actions. And it, and it goes on and on. How many of you believe that you won't find a job unless you put applications out there? So what do you do? Put applications out there. We have beliefs. If we have something that we truly believe in, we act on it. It is really difficult for you to sell me on the fact that you believe something and don't act on it. We've got to understand God's truth. We've got to believe God's truth. We've got to act on God's truth. We've got to be speaking. We've got to speak God's truth. You've got to speak it. Speak the truth of God. If you truly believe a thing, you will have corresponding actions and the things coming out of your mouth will be in line with what you believe. You will speak the truth of God. Lastly, you will stand on God's truth. Understand, believe, act on, speak, stand on God's truth. These are the things that we need to be doing. These are the things we need to be focusing on. Now, if, the, if, if God wants us to be doing these things, you've got to know that the enemy is out there trying to get you to stop doing these things. He will try, the deceiver, as is known of, he will try to deceive us in each of these areas. But he has to be given permission by us. How do I fall prey? How do I give permission to be deceived? It's real easy. I look at people all over the place today. How many of y'all, you all know, you know, most of you tell me your own stories about the news media. And the things that they say, and you laugh at them for the things that they... And they're, they're comical and, and, and so forth. But, you know, there's a whole lot of people out there that don't know that. And you run into them, and you talk with them about some things. And how is it that they got so deceived by things that were on Channel 6? Some of the things that were on NBC? Some of the things that are on some of these other ones that are out there? How is it that they can listen to that and be so deceived? It's simple, isn't it? The number one thing that causes people to give permission to be deceived is they don't check the facts. They don't check the facts. They believe anything that they, people will say. I have people that I trust and people that I believe and I have people that I don't trust further than I can throw them. But if somebody were to, whether there's somebody in the group that I trust or the group that I don't trust, if somebody tells me something and I am going to repeat it, I must check the facts. I will check the facts on people that I trust and believe. I've got preachers and pastors who will tell me something. I'll be listening to their podcast and they'll say something. And I like this preacher. I, enjoy, I trust him, fully trust him. And they'll say that, oh, I got to check that out. That's what I'll say. Oh, I got to check that out. If they teach me something new from the word, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to check that out. If they tell me something about archaeology and history, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to check that out. No matter what it is, I'm going to check it out. If they tell me something about what's going on in the world today for the end times, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to check it out. People don't check things out. And they fall prey to deception. 
Don't fall prey to deception. You can, you can keep yourself from being deceived. Just check things out. If somebody says something, check the facts. If I tell you something and it's new, you know what I want you to do? Check it out. I don't want you to ever just believe something because I told it to you. I, want you I, I get excited. I want to check that out. Don't ever think that's going to offend me. That's never going to offend me. I want you to check it out. Because <laughs> I'm going to check out things that I hear. You, you're going to go, I was checking that out. And I didn't quite see what you saw. Can you tell? Well, sure, I'll tell you where it is. Happy to. Check the facts. That's one of the first things that people don't do that gets permission for them to be deceived. Here's the second one. They're not holding fast to what, I, what they believe. The Word of God tells us to hold fast to what we believe. And they're not doing it. They don't let go of it real quick. The Word of God says to believe that He is our healer. And somebody comes along and gives us a bad report that says you're sick, you're this, you're that. The Word of God says that He's going to take care of all your needs financially. And then we find out, that, oh, I have this need over here. And we, whatever it is that's coming from the Word of God, when we get a contrary report, what are we going to do? Are we going to hold fast to what we believe? Or am I going to let it go? I've got to hold fast to the thing I believe. I've got to hold fast to that thing. Because some things I can check the facts out on. And some things may come to me. And why? Well, I, I need to hold fast to what I'm believing. I, believe, I don't care what my body is telling me right now. I believe I'm healthy. I believe I'm whole. Because the Word of God said this. And I'm going to hold fast to that. I've got to check out the facts. I've got to hold fast to what I believe. And I've got to be trusting in God. People are giving their permission by not checking the facts, by not holding fast to what they believe, and by not trusting in God. If you do any of those, one, any one of those three things, you are going to give permission for someone to deceive you. But don't do it. There's no reason why you should not trust in God. I understand you want to check anything out that anybody else says, but if God says it, I'm going to believe it. Yes, sir. I got it. I heard. Check the facts. Hold fast to what you believe. Trust in God. So here's the things to focus on. I even put a fourth one in here on this one. First off, consider the source. <laughs> you can write this in, just not in your outline. Sometimes we've got to just consider the source. Because some sources are just to be laughed at. I mean, NBC has created so much news. Are they not a laughing stock? CNN has altered pictures, altered stories. Are they not a laughing stock? ABC has altered video, altered audio. Are they not a laughing stock? Why would we believe? I mean, consider the source. If you get a news report from ABC, NBC, CNN, and dear Lord, MSNBC has been guilty of so many different things. I mean, I am shocked that anybody listens to them anymore. But I think there's about five or six people out there that still do. But you got to consider the source. What is the source of this? Where is this coming from? Find out the source of the thing. You do not ever have to be deceived. You have the ability to research anything you need to, especially now. That internet's a good, powerful thing. Sure, the devil has used it for wrong things. But I'll tell you what, you can research something. You can go up there and find some things out about stuff faster than you ever could before. You had to get out to the library. You had to find the books. You had to find the page that was in the book. Now you just go into the Google and type in the thing and bam. <laughs> you can read all kinds of stuff. Pro, con, all kinds of different ways. You can check the thing out. You can't believe everything that's on the internet. But there's a, the truth is out there. You can find it. Listen to your spirit. Listen to your spirit. You want to have focus and turmoil? Don't let yourself get moved. Don't let yourself be deceived. 
People are going to come and try and lie to you and try and move you off of the things that you're standing on. They want to do that. You've got to hold fast. You've got to check out the facts of anything that comes to you. You've got to hold fast on the things you believe. Don't let go of those things. If you believe it, don't let go of it so quick. Hang on to that thing. I'm not letting go. I've I got to see some evidence here. And you be known as one who trusts in God. Be known as one who trusts in God. Hezekiah prepared themselves for a battle to come. I love the way that he prepared. He prepared in the natural. He fortified the cities. He got things ready. He taught the people. This is what's coming against us. But we're able to stand up to it. Now, here's what you do. Don't be afraid of their words. Don't answer them anything. Stay silent. Sometimes we just need to do that. Too often we speak and we say things because we heard a report. Because a doctor said something about this. And we're quick with our mouth to say things that are going to get us in trouble or are going to hurt us. Sometimes we just need to stay mum. Not say anything. Just not speak about it. Until we get back into the Word of God, we build ourselves back up again, and then we come on out. And, you know what? I'm not going to believe that. I'm going to speak these words. And you begin to speak creative power words. We were talking about last week at the end. Death and life are in the power of the... And yet so often we will speak things. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. But so often we will speak things that are contrary to what we believe, that are contrary to trusting in God, that are contrary to what He said. And why do you have turmoil in your life? Because you have rejected the wisdom of God. Because you have spoken against the wisdom of God from coming in there. You have spoken against the answer of God coming. Don't do it. Don't give in to fear. Don't give in to all those things. Sometimes, I mean, you may, you may have a doubt that comes up on the inside of you, but don't speak it out of your mouth. Be quiet about it. Way back when we were talking about this, remember we got into, the, into how you can tell whether you doubt in your heart? It's real easy. What are you saying? What do you say? Because out of your heart, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You can tell exactly what's in a person's heart. It's in the abundance of what they say. You want to change it? Too often people get this message and they, they say, well, I've got to change what I say. It's not about changing what you say. It's about changing what's in your heart. If you change what's in your heart, you change what you say. Too often we have people that are just, you know, word police. They're going to bop you every time you say a wrong word. No. Change what's in your heart. Believe that what God said is going to come about. Don't be moved off of it so fast. And you will find out that you have peace in the midst of turmoil. You have focus when everything around you is going haywire. When things try and get at your emotions, you stay steady. You're not moved. People may say mean, hurtful, harsh things. You may lose friendships that you've had for a long period of time. But you'll be at peace. You won't be in turmoil because you hold on to these things. This story could be studied over and over. You can come back to it again and again and again and understand that when an army surrounds your city and says all kinds of threatening words, you can have peace 
and you can have victory. If that can happen, then what about just a handful of people that are saying nasty things about you? What about a handful of people at work that want to try and knock you out? What about some other businesses that are out to try and get your business? doesn't matter. Stay true to the Word of God. You can have focus in the midst of turmoil simply by following these principles. Check out the facts. Check the source. Consider the source at least. But check out the facts. Are these things really true? If Adam and Eve would have checked the facts behind the deceiver's statement in the Garden of Eden, would there have been a problem? They just didn't check the facts. Check out the facts of the thing that's being said. How many have ever heard, well, that disease, that's incurable? Ever heard that? You know why it's incurable? Real easy. Because no one's cured it yet. But what happens when it's cured? How many diseases from way back when were considered to be not curable that are gone now? That are hardly around. Why? Because we found a cure. (laughs) You know what stops a disease from being incurable? Finding a cure. What people should say, what doctors should say is, for what we know right now, we don't know how to cure it. It doesn't mean that you won't ever find out. And besides that, God has worked with incurable diseases for a long time. Don't just accept what people say. Don't just let your beliefs fall apart because of what people say. Or is that, everybody get this on your refrigerator this week. Do not be afraid of their words. Don't be afraid of the words. People may speak harsh things against you. It don't matter. Don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of the words that are spoken against you. Trust in God. God has turned nasty situations around for good over and over and over and over. And He will do it for you. Will you all stand up with me? Father, we thank You for the help that You give us. We trust our God. We believe the things that He says are true. And when our God says that there shall be nothing impossible to us, then there is nothing impossible to us. Father, I thank You for the help that You give us. All things are possible to Him who believes. Which means that all things are possible to those who believe. And we just got to move ourselves over into the place where we believe and all things are possible. Thank you for the help that you give us, Father. There is no turmoil that can cause us to lose our focus unless we give our permission. We can be steady for the things of God. Steady and immovable. We will reach the goal that you've given us. We thank you for it in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.